Hello, I'm Michael Hasted, and you're listening to Arts Talk Radio, bringing you interviews and news relating to all aspects of the arts in Holland, which are either in English or where language is no problem. We cover Amsterdam, The Hague, Rotterdam, and the surrounding areas. Arts Talk Radio Online. Interviews and features on the arts in English. Later, we'll have some music from one of our favourite artists. But we begin at one of my local museums, and one I'm always happy to visit. I'm at the Museum Prinsenhof in Delft, and I'm with Anita Janssen, who is the curator of a new exhibition by a Dutch artist called Bram Bogard. Now... Anita, to me, at least, uh, Bram Bogart's not terribly well-known, but you, you were telling me he is very well-known, especially in Berlin. Tell me a little bit about him, his background. Well, um, he was born in Delft, so he's a real Delft painter from the start. He was born here in 1921, so last year it was 100 years ago. And uh, that's why we decided we want to dedicate an exhibition on him, on his 100th birthday. But because of Corona, we had to postpone it a few times so now it's 2022 but we really wanted to honor him because in the Netherlands he's not that much known because I think he, he left the Netherlands fairly early and went to Belgium and, and mainly worked there yes at first he, he left Delft in 1946 he went to Paris like a lot of other artists and uh, then he started traveling he went to the south of France uh, to Rome uh, to Germany and and uh, yeah had a lot of influences and from 1960 on he stayed in Belgium and um, uh, so and he stayed there till his death so I think that's why he's not that known in the Netherlands although he's a big name okay well we're in the first room of the exhibition so we'll do a, a quick a quick tour now the room we that we're in at the beginning is a sort of I don't know there are lots of pictures of of him at work and a little sort of tableau of tins of paint and, and things like that. He always worked in incredible places, didn't he? He found incredible buildings to rent. Yes, yes. Uh, in Belgium, he uh, first he rented a castle and he needed uh, a lot of space because his works became larger, bigger, heavier during his career. And so he really loved historical places. So that's why he thought uh, for uh, things like castles and uh, when he had to leave his first castle he rented in Brussels an old paper factory but that burned down and after that he bought his first castle himself mm. so then he left for a, a castle as well and it filled very quickly with all his work because in the last part of his life the last 20 years his work becomes really huge really heavy. Some of the paintings are more than 500 kilos. So that's hard to imagine, but it's, yeah, that's really true. Okay, well, let's walk through a little bit. There's, a, there's in the background, you can probably hear, there's, there's a, a, a video playing. And again, lots of pots of paint. And we'll now go into the main room of the exhibition. Thank you. It's more or less chronological, isn't it? 
Yes, yes, it is. Um, uh, the first cabinet is uh, all dedicated to his Delft start. So the first eight years of his career, he works in the land of Overfest in Delft. Uh, there he has a small room at the attic, and there he can start his career. Very special, because he was not educated as a painter. It, he comes from a, yeah, a very simple family who was not artistic at all and so he uh, he learns himself and um, but the first eight years so he produces in Delft and the paintings really have a Delft character. Yeah there's uh, they're fairly predictable there's a couple of landscapes there's a still life and there's a, a landscape with a windmill rather exactly. predictably <laughs> however you can actually see in that painting which is which is the date of that that's 1940. It's 1940 yeah. You can actually see that in that picture where he's going because the frame the frame is painted as well and it's very textured and everything else which and texture I think which is possibly the word you would use to describe all his work. So let's move around and there's a, a, a map here showing all the places he worked. He certainly moved around a lot. There's Delft, Paris, Delft, The Hague, south of France, The Hague, Paris, Antibes, Cannes, Paris, Rome, Brussels, um, Oan, which is in, in Belgium. Belgium, and Courton Blas. Yes, these, these last two are the castles he right. worked. So he, he rented first a castle in Ohain in Belgium, and afterwards he bought a castle in Kortenbosch, and that was the last place where he worked and lived. But he must have had a, quite a lot of money. I mean, it, it was quite expensive to, to travel and also to rent these places. And it's, as you say, he came from maybe not humble background, but he no, must have had some money. he lived very sober, and of course he had a lot of little jobs to, to, yeah, to earn in his uh, living. So from 1951 he uh, settled for a period of about 9, 10 years in Paris. And then he was very inspired by the American action painters, uh, like Jackson Pollock and uh, the Art Informel. So he looked at very different inspirational uh, sources. And uh, what he did from the start of his career is that he experimented a lot. So, and in this period, he doesn't have a lot of money. And this earthy, pigments were the most cheap. So that was one of the reasons he chose this kind of paint, but he really liked it. And um, uh, last week I spoke a lot to the son of Bram Bogart, Bram Bogart Jr., who takes care of the legacy of Bogart. And he told me, very interesting, that in this period the um, uh, caves of Lascaux were discovered. So if you have in your mind the pictures of the caves of Lascaux with that earthy climate, with the dripping stones, you can also imagine that a work like this, that's, yeah. <laughs> like this doesn't work terribly well on radio. <laughs> so this is another, a, a similar one. It's, a, it's very textured, it's very earthy colors, much larger. Um, one of the influences I can see, maybe it wasn't an influence, but there is a certain um, similarity with Tapius, the Spanish artist. Exactly, yeah. That's also an artist he, uh, he, uh, he admired. Mm. And uh, yes, he's, he's searching for a new kind of way of expressing himself, of course. But what is different in his career 
um, uh, to other artists, uh, that it's always the paint that interests him well, from the, the beginning. texture. No, really the paint, really the paint. He uses in the beginning a little bit of chalk to um, thicken. To thicken, <laughs> yes, with the, with the paint, but. Uh, from the beginning to the end of his career, it's always the paint he's possessed with. Also, the very big works are exists only from oil, pigment, and water. Hmm. He, uh, yeah, other artists buy paint just in tubes or in cans from one liter. He buys oil in barrels of 200 liters and then 10 or 20 barrels at once. Pigment he buys in bags of 40 kilos at least and then in every color. And so the, yeah, the, the, the technical aspects of working with paint, that's what from the beginning to the end um, possesses him. Mm. I mean, they must have been done quite quickly because I think it probably took something like that would take weeks to dry. So you had to more or less finish it in one go. Yes. Right, let's move on yeah. a little. Right, we're now, we're now coming to uh, the second part, which is the really three-dimensional. They're, I mean, some of them are 20, 20 centimetres thick um, and much more brightly coloured. And what, what, what period are these? Uh, these are from the period of Ohain, the first castle uh, that he rents. And uh, so he, uh, from that moment on, uh, he lays the support on the ground. So from 1963 till his death, he works on his knees or bent over um, to put the paint with buckets. Yeah, and trowels and spades and, and probably diggers for some of them. I mean, some of them are almost like, um, almost like cakes, aren't they? Yes, exactly. If you look at the work Hello Cornelia, who's um, uh, named after his daughter, it, it really looks like a cake with, with cream on it. Uh, yeah, it's about uh, 80 centimetres in diameter circular. And it, re it does look like a cake, perhaps a, a few candles on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and here are a, a couple more really, really thick paint applied. Are these on canvas? Yes, but it's, it's not only a canvas support in the usual way, but he uses a material, yeah, I don't know the English word. I think that's called it? Hessian or something like that. Yes, it's Jutte, uh, it's the Dutch name yeah. for it. It's very rough, very thick. So because the paintings get heavier, he lays the support on the floor and then spans over a few layers of, uh, I think it's called Hessian, or yeah. he well, hemp, it's hemp-based anyway. Yes, and uh, before putting the paint on it, he uh, manipulates the jute with uh, a past to make a, a relief, uh, relief in it. Um, so it gets three-dimensional already, it hardens, and after that he puts the paint on it, so it has a grip a better grip on the support. But surely there are conservation issues. I can see in this one we're standing in front of, there are a couple of cracks in it. No, that's not a conservational problem. That's how it was made. 
And of course, some of the paintings, like the paintings from Paris, they have really conservational problems. That's hard to keep them in the way they were made in Paris. Because I think a lot of the, 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 the pigment, when you buy it in bulk, is not the best quality pigment. Not in the beginning, but he starts selling in the, from the 50s on already quite good. So in the later period, starting in O'Hare, he can buy what he wants. Okay, and moving on. Um, yeah, there's almost. A, sorry. Yeah, you know. Is, is that a lot of um, uh, paintings uh, have names that uh, refer to his Delft background? I was going to say the one we're, we're looking at was standing in front of a, a black and white one, which is basically a square which is divided into to, to four sections diagonally. And it's almost like a Dutch um, window blind. Exactly, and that's where it's based on. It's the weapon of Delft uh, that was used already in the 16th, 17th century to uh, make sure that people could see that that house, that building was owned by the city. And it's, it's called ontluiking, so making open the cover of the window. And um, the Prinshof, the museum we're in now, has this kind of Luiken, zeg maar, before of the window. Um, and uh, so in, in, in every period of his career, Delft keeps coming back in the titles of his paintings, but also in what they mean, also in the color blue and white. I think possibly we should mention that the Prinsenhof, the building we're in, is, is possibly one of the most important buildings in Holland. Exactly. Because um, it, it was in this building that uh, William of Orange was assassinated, which led directly to the creation of the Dutch state. Exactly, exactly. A little yeah. bit of background there for us. Now, there's one, one here, which is, this is almost pop art, isn't it? Yes, yes. It's, it's quite humorful when, when you look at it. And, um, but this is specifically what he does in his period in Ohan. He's all, always fascinated by uh, squares, uh, circles, crosses. He, he uses that in, uh, already in the 50s, but he starts on using that in Ohan, but then the form the cross, the, the square, the circle, becomes the painting itself. Because th th some of them, are, are, they almost look soft from a distance. Yes, that's a question I often get. So, and some people said, yeah, I don't know the English word for it. Is it purschuim? No, no, do you? No. no. <laughs> that's but what is used in building, uh, and, and that looks a little bit like cream. But hardens oh, out. Oh, foam, foam, foam. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and, uh, and hardens out, and it's very light. But there were, I mean, there was a, there was a, uh, not exactly a movement, but there were people who did soft painting. I think Reichenberg did, yep. did soft paintings, and, and there are some of them. They, they actually look soft. You feel, feel you could actually put your thumb in them. No, which these I, are which you're all not very to do. hard, and all very heavy. <laughs> <laughs> and also, that, that's, that's also a challenge for a museum because when you have to hang them, you have to prepare your, uh, of course, uh, everything where you hang it on and secure it. Uh, very good. Right, now this is the, the last room and the pictures are even bigger and fatter and heavier and some of them look even softer. A really big monochrome red one there. What period is that from? 
that's from the last part of his career. I so think. he died. He died when? 2012. In, uh, 2012. Yeah. yeah. So about tw uh, 10 years ago, uh, he died. And these are from the last period. And what you, what you see very well is that he uses uh, very big brushes, but also very big palette masses, where he draws the paint from one side to the other. And so that the paint goes, curls over uh, the frontiers yeah. of the support. So, I mean, none of the works are framed. No. They cannot be framed. Uh, there's no point in framing them because they are almost sculptural. They're actually self-contained. Um, there's some more photographs of him. Oh, and one of his, his, his chateaus, the Court en Boss. This was in, in whereabouts in Belgium? It's uh, in the neighborhood of uh, the Dutch Limburg. It's in Belgium Limburg. Um, so it's about, I think, uh, 150 kilometers uh, to the right side of Brussels. It's a fabulous-looking chateau with um, water in the front with swans on it. He actually bought that. Yes, yes. Um, uh, uh, for a period, uh, the, the family lived in uh, a paper factory in Brussels. Uh, but that period was very short because there uh, started a fire uh, caused by uh, some building uh, structure, I don't know, um, yes, and there was a, a flame coming on the pigments and the pigments can burn very hard. And paper as well burns quite well. Yes, and uh, so that's the only period Bram Bogart in his career didn't work. He didn't work for, I think, a year and a half. And in that period, he, he thought for a new castle, and he found that in Kortenbos, Kasteel de Grote Engel, the big angel, it was called, uh, with a lot of big rooms and a very big park outside, so he could work inside, fill all the rooms with his very big work, and work outside, and really liked also working in the nature. Hmm. Okay, now, what else is there? Another one which is single color one, which is just white. Again, very, almost chewy, I would say. So he, so he did very bright colors, but there are three, three pictures in this room which are single colors. Was that a, a, a trend and a, a period he went through? Yes, yes. Then he, uh, but he was all, also he was always experimenting. So always looking at what 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 can I use to make a new expression. He really was an expressionist painter, and he stayed that till the last. So uh, I think in that monogram. Uh, works from the last period. He also had a period of quietness in in his career, and afterwards he he was really uh, working again with very other colors. So in the in the last cabinet, you can see that he starts using colors like yellow and and rose and very green and and very harsh like. Like candy, it's 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 it looks a lot like candy or ice cream or. But these are, I mean, they are, I mean, they're truly spectacular because they are large, they are really thick, and and they have a very strong physical presence, and not only in the colour. No, no, they really have. Um, we are looking now at the uh, last painting Bogart made. He he painted this in 2011. And he was already sitting in a wheelchair. 
He had already worked 70 years in the last 50 years on that very heavy painting, so it, the physical, uh, yeah, what he had to do to make such paint wasn't possible uh, anymore. So, in and, and maybe contributed to the fact that he was in a wheelchair. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and um, so, but he was only that in the last year, and his son helped him to finish this painting. But it, it's really uh, good to have in the exhibition his first painting, that little, little um, uh, painting with a vase with flowers from October uh, 1939 to his very last painting from 2011. Okay, I think that will do. Um, Anita Janssen, thanks very much indeed. I was talking to Anita Janssen, curator of the Bram Bogart exhibition at the Museum Prinzenhof in Delft. And regarding the soft sculptures we were talking about, of course I meant Oldenburg, not Rauschenberg. The exhibition continues until August and is certainly recommended. Talk Magazine provides the perfect companion to Arts Talk Radio with reviews and previews in English of cultural events in Holland. Whatever your interest in the arts, our international team of writers will always provide something new and exciting to see online. That's Arts Talk Magazine, all one word, dot NL. Arts Talk Magazine, dot NL. We haven't had much music recently, so to play us out, here's a track from Canadian artist Ronnie Tepper, who we met in The Hague before the pandemic when she was there as part of her European tour. This song is from her latest album and is called Everyone Loves a Good Story.
interesting subplot Antagonize the protagonist Is it okay to side with the antagonist? Long run-on sentences Brief amounts of sentiment When to know the character's And if I knew where this was going, I'd tell you. But it's all coming out in ebb and flows. And the narrative will nourish as the plot unfolds. Thank you.